The first reading for this celebration of Reformation comes from John's Revelation, the 14th chapter. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every tribe, every nation, language, and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God, give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We rise. According to St. John, the eighth chapter, glory to you, O Lord. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you'll become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. You may be seated. I'd like to invite you to turn to the book of Revelation tonight, to the 11th chapter we'll begin with there in a few moments. If you're using the Pew Bible, you'll find that on page 1034. But especially these words from chapter 14. I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. The gospel is the message of forgiveness. Forgiveness through repentance and faith in Jesus who lived a perfect life yet died for the sins of all, rose again to bring forgiveness and salvation to all people. That gospel message this passage from Revelation 14 is telling us will never be destroyed. Well, some of you might be thinking, of course, that's never going to happen. And yet, the gospel has been in the past and is in many places in the world today violently attacked and cleverly undermined. The devil pushes, the devil persuades, he seeks for people to believe in anything but the forgiveness of sins for the sake of Jesus Christ. This is the reason God has promised the everlasting gospel, to assure us that that message will not be subdued ultimately or destroyed. This past week, I had our eighth grade students in my Bible class with them watch part of the 2003 Martin Luther movie starring Joseph Fiennes. I would encourage you to watch that movie if you haven't seen it already. But this week is not just about watching a movie about Luther, our church named after him, but it's really more about church history. And I point out to the students, there have been many great people that God has used to help keep the church going. People like Jerome, who translated the Bible from Hebrew and Greek into Latin. People like Augustine from North Africa, 
the great orator who became an even greater preacher. I told the students, I wish there were movies about all of these guys, but there aren't that many or they're not that good. There are not as many books either. Why for Luther? Why so much to be said about him? Why so much to be shown about him on the big screen? Well, the reason for that is that Luther was a very special servant of the church. He also was a great preacher and translator of the Bible. But what he's remembered for the most is the way God used him to literally save the gospel. The devil hates and destroys this gospel in all ways possible. But it is God who preserves that gospel using people like Martin Luther and as I'm going to show you tonight, many others as well. So let's take a look at where this all began if you want to follow along with me by going all the way back to Revelation chapter 11 beginning at verse 15. As we look through those verses, and I'm not going to read them all, but you can kind of just scan over them with me a little bit. And you'll see how John is explaining the way God preserves the gospel. In verse 15, for example, he says, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord. Well, this is the whole point of the Bible, the whole point of Moses and the prophets and of Jesus, that God made a promise to Abraham to bring blessing through him to all the families, all the nations of the world. They're all ultimately to become part of God's kingdom. But as you read a little bit further, you can see that many in the world has never liked this idea. Nations have raged, and yet the saints have been delivered. Destroyers are destroyed. And as you read down a little bit further, a vision of even the Ark of the Covenant is seen. So in chapter 11, we see this great struggle going on between the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of our Lord. In chapter 12, another great vision is presented to John. In this one, we see a woman with a garland of stars around her head, a woman bearing a child and a fiery dragon seeking to destroy the woman and the child, and yet he is not able to do that. In the next passage of the same chapter, John sees a kind of flashback, a flashback of a war between an angel, the archangel Michael, and the devil, which kind of explains what's going on here and why the devil is so bent on destroying the church and Jesus especially. In chapter 13, John sees a vision of two beasts. One beast rises up out of the sea, blasphemes God, and makes war with the saints. Another beast, as you scan down a little bit further, rises up from the earth, who causes the unbelievers to worship this first beast. Now, these beasts are not animals or dinosaurs or anything like that. They are spirits or demons. And they work, one within the governments of the world and the other within the false religions of the world. Especially that latter one is the one who forces all unbelievers to receive that famous mark of the beast, 
the 666. But I want you to know that that's not some sort of special tattoo you've got to watch out for or some sort of electronic chip in the future that may be embedded in people's bodies. The number 666, John says, is the number of man. Man was created on the sixth day. And when you triple it like that, it's just the Bible's way of intensifying it. That this is what human beings are when they are left by themselves, when they are going to try to establish, as we began in chapter 11, with the kingdom of the world versus the kingdom of God. And the governments will use whatever they want, could even be our social security numbers for that matter, in order to keep people from buying and selling, in order to make life very, very difficult for them in order to force them to believe what that particular government wants them to believe. That is something John said has been happening for centuries and will only get worse as we come to the final end of this world. In chapter 14, the 144,000 people that are believers and are saved are presented to us. Twelve times twelve, 144, times a thousand, 144,000. Twelve in the Bible is always the number of God's people, the twelve tribes, the twelve apostles. Multiplied by a thousand just means it's a lot, but it's the true number of believers. John says they're the ones not defiled with women. Again, you have to read this Bible carefully and understand the imagery of the Old Testament prophets who often spoke of the spiritual immorality of the people of Israel and later on the people of the church. It is a spiritual immorality that he is speaking about here and a spiritual morality of those who, as John says, follow the Lamb. And that brings us now to our passage in chapter 14. To the three angels, one angel is proclaiming the eternal gospel. A second angel tells us that Babylon, again, representing the governments and the kingdom of the world, has fallen. And finally, the third angel, to avoid that mark of the beast. And look at chapter 14, verse 13, a beautiful funeral verse leading us ultimately to the reality that God has given us a gospel that will not be destroyed and a salvation that will never be taken away from His people. So what does all of this mean, this eternal gospel? What is all this struggle between the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of our Lord? Luther liked to ask the question, what does this mean? Or in other words, what? So what? What's the difference? What should I do? Well, we, we learn at least two lessons here. The devil hates the gospel and persecutes those who believe it. God loves the gospel and promises to preserve it and those who believe in him. In Luther's day, the gospel was nearly extinct. The papal church at that time taught, yes, Jesus died on the cross to deliver you from your sins and particularly the eternal punishment of sin. But the earthly punishment of sin, now that's something you have to work off 
with good works to God. That is to say, the temporal punishments that will follow you well on into eternity itself. It was such a muddling of the gospel that the gospel was almost completely gone. People were hopeless. Luther rose up to say, forgiveness is forgiveness and the gospel is the gospel. And Rome was enraged. And you can read more about that in his life and what happened. But the main point is that Luther was permitted by God to preach that gospel. And that gospel was raised up again. In many countries of this world, the gospel is completely subdued. Saudi Arabia, Iran, atheist countries like Vietnam and North Korea. In all these countries, you are forbidden to preach the gospel of Jesus. In a large country like China, it is allowed but very carefully regulated, and those who believe it will find their freedoms reduced. In free countries like ours, the gospel is more and more becoming ridiculed, and in some cases even punished. Right now in Finland, there is a court case going on. A pastor and a medical doctor, both Lutherans, who are about to be possibly punished, for publishing a pamphlet that said nothing more than that marriage is for a man and for a woman. Perhaps the worst case scenario of the destruction of the gospel comes from all of us, from lazy Christians in particular, from our weakness to worship and our lack of desire to learn God's Word, which then makes us pray to arguments and all kinds of foolish nonsense about God and, and a, a different kind of Jesus, not a Jesus of the Ten Commandments, not a Jesus of the resurrection, not a Jesus certainly of Judgment Day, a watered-down Jesus, a schedule that the world holds around us that often obliterates worship on Sunday morning if you want to hold on to your job or if you want to be on a sports team. What it means is that we still are involved in the great struggle between the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of our Lord. But as I said, from the beginning, God has promised that this is an eternal gospel. It is never going to go away. As hard as the devil may work to destroy it, he cannot. And this brings me to the last part of the message, our need for angels. Sometimes, honestly, it does weigh heavy on my heart. How can I resist all these pressures around me? Will I be faithful unto death? John's answer in the book of Revelation is yes. For God sends his angels. The world has been driven to madness by the spirits of evil. Jeremiah chapter 51. Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand, making all the earth drunken. The nations drank of her wine, therefore the nations went mad. But the church is supported by angels. Let thy holy angel be with me, Martin Luther taught his children and all of us to pray in the catechism, that the evil foe may have no power over us. Hebrews chapter 1, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? God loves the gospel and he wants people to believe it. It is not to be destroyed. 
It's backed by an army of angels and of saints who spread that word to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Together, we will fear and give glory to him. I want to close by talking about one particular angel that is doing this, I hope, right now. And this angel is not from past history or even from today's headlines. There's no movie about this angel and there's no book written about this angel, probably. The angel I'm talking about is you and me. Your coming to worship here this evening is showing the world around you that the gospel is important to you. Your offerings that you bring preach that gospel to all who dwell on the earth. And every day, you and I have the opportunity to tell those around us that we do fear God and that we do give glory to Him. And all of that is part of this ongoing reformation and this ongoing eternal gospel that God has promised will never be destroyed. A gospel of salvation in Jesus. Amen. Please rise.